investing in property makes sense. Investing in the right property takes knowledge. Welcome to the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. I'm Jared McCabe, Director of Wakeland Property Advisory. Join me for expert insights into the fundamentals, trends and opportunities to help you create long-term wealth through smart property decisions. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 39 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. So, where should I buy an investment property? Probably one of the most common questions that our advisors get asked during phone conversations and uh, and meetings that we have on a daily basis. And a quite common one is obviously out of that is, should I buy in the city? Should I buy in the suburbs? Should I buy in a regional area or perhaps even interstate down by the beach? What are the best options? Um, but by, by far the most common statement around that that we get is, that I'd feel really comfortable um, buying something where I live because I know the market there. So what I thought today was that we would investigate that a bit further and look at the pros and cons of buying an investment property where you live and whether it's a smart thing to do or whether you should be looking at alternatives. So we'll go through the pros and cons of both, of, um, of either side and, and see where we come out at the end. So always starting with the positives and, and seeing which way that goes. The, the key part or the key benefit, I think, in terms of buying a property in the, the location where you live, whether that be a, a suburb or town, is the knowledge that you've got of that that area and that market. So you'll have a very clear understanding of how the property market's been travelling, whether it's positive, whether it's negative, whether there's um, been good growth patterns in recent times, or perhaps whether it's been struggling a little bit. Um, and you'll also know the good and the bad of that location. So what parts of the suburb or town work really well, what streets are sought after, and what areas perhaps are a little bit more secondary and are probably better to be avoided. Other knowledge that you'll more than likely have will be around perhaps some new projects and infrastructure. So whether there's new parklands, whether there's to be new public transport linkages, new office space, new schools, uh, retail precincts, what's going on in and around the suburb um, that's going to add value or perhaps make certain parts of the suburb more desirable. Um, and then also the flip side of that, what areas might be lacking a little bit and therefore don't have this, the serviceability or perhaps aren't as desirable from a residency point of view and therefore, again, probably best to be avoided. Um, and therefore, you, and you really know what the, the likes and dislikes because you're, you live it, you're there every day, you speak to people um, and so what, what areas are, are, are preferable. But also going a bit deeper than that is what property types are popular. So certain areas it's it's we wouldn't look at anything but housing for instance in a lot of regional areas apartments are just not a consideration because housing is relatively affordable and therefore anything in the form of apartment is not desirable so sometimes people from metropolitan areas make the mistake of going to a regional area seeing a new or seeing an apartment development and thinking well that's what would be good in my area um, and therefore that's what I'll buy but if you've got the knowledge of your area you'll know what's acceptable and what's not and again, going further, what property types or property styles, I should say, um, are popular. So in some suburbs, there's a preference for Victorian housing over perhaps um, Art Deco. And then in other areas, it's Art Deco is a preference over mid-century or modern over mid-century. There's all these types of things that come into play. And if you've got that in, um, inside knowledge, you're able to put that into, into effect and put that into place to benefit you. Um, you'll probably also have a, a good understanding around school zones and, and where and which where you should buy. So again, in metropolitan areas, Bourne High School, University High, McKinnon Secondary College, those sorts of areas, locals will have the knowledge. Now you can do the research on that, but others will have the inside knowledge if you're living that every day. 
Um, and public transport's a big one too. What's what's acceptable and what's not in certain areas. So certain suburbs have got really good access to public transport, others don't. Um, and what villages are more popular than others um, in certain towns and locations as well. And how readily available is public open space. So all of these sorts of things come into play when it comes to knowledge of your area. And I think that really is the best attribute that you've got when considering buying an investment property and buying it where you live. The second, which is probably is a more secondary element to it, but um, it's ease of management and ease of maintenance. So if you're living near your investment property, um, the, the ability to just drive past to see how it's going, whether it's being looked after, whether you need to spend money on it, whether it's um, starting to look a little bit weathered and, and needs a coat of paint next time you're around and you're not having to just rely on uh, a property manager providing you with that feedback, you're able to actually see it yourself. Um, and then, which then leads to, if you've got the ability or the capability, um, potentially if there are works that need to be done and you want to, you can do it yourself. Now, that's not something that I would do um, because I don't have the ability to do it, but there's plenty of people that would be able to go and regrout a shower, for instance, or um, make some, some changes to landscaping, that sort of thing. And if you've got, if it's within your area, then you're far more likely to be able to do that. So that could certainly be a, um, an added bonus as well. Um, and then it's the personal contacts. This is the next advantage that you've got that you've more than likely got um, at your disposal. So, for instance, a property manager. Now, if it's a local area, you may have a personal, you may have a friend, or you may have a friend of a friend, or someone else is able to refer you to a, a really good quality property manager who's got the expertise and the experience, uh, and you've got that trust that they can do that. Um, you've got the understanding of the market to hold them accountable, but also know that they've got. Um, a good stranglehold of that market, um, but you also know what's an appropriate fee to be paying for them as well. Whereas if it's if you've bought a property, say interstate, you may not know, or it may not be the same as what's appropriate in the area that you live. And then that comes to also with trades. So, so if there's work that needs to be done, again, you may well have a, a friend or a, um, a contact through a, a club or a school that, that you could get to do that work on your behalf. You know they're going to be reliable because it's that personal contact. You know that the, the work's going to be quality and you'll understand what the, um, the, the, the quote and the pricing is going to be fair as well. Whereas there's more reliance on others to provide those services that perhaps doesn't have that, that same accountability if it's, if it's not in the area that you live. So those are probably some of the main positives um, and the main um, reasons to consider purchasing a, uh, a property where you live. Um, so let's have, now have a look at some of the cons. Um, now, as a former valuer, one of the, um, the key things that we were always taught and said around the industry was that the hardest property to value is your own. And that's because your judgment is very easily clouded. You, only, you quite often only focus on and only see the good in the property. There's never any negative attributes. And even if there are they get overwhelmed by the positives. You see everything good in that property. And that can be the same with considering buying an investment property in your area. You, you only see the positives and don't necessarily see the, um, the, the negative side of things. Um, and what that does is it, it leads to making emotional decisions rather than economical ones. And that is the key difference between buying a home or making a decision around a home and buying an investment property. It's not about emotion, it's about the economics and where it, where that all kicks in. So that um, clouded judgment can be a, um, a bit of an issue when it comes to buying near where you live. The next is diversification and not wanting to have all of your eggs in one basket. Now, diversi 
diversification can come in multiple forms. It's not just about the geographical side of things. And to give you an example of that, um, say someone that might uh, live and, and own a home in um, Camberwell, they could also own an investment property in Camberwell and still have it diversified because it's perhaps a villa unit. And therefore, even though it's in the same suburb, it's a very different property market that, that's acting in there. So you have still diversified um, and you're able to do that. Um, I guess the the issue there with buying in the same suburb is not all suburbs offer the ability to diversify um, with the type of property. Some of them have um, a lot of suburbs and towns and things have very similar types of property. So you're not able to, to diversify with property type or style. Um, so the only way you can really do it then is is to do it geographically. Um, and it's, that's for the same reason as, for instance, if you're buying shares, you don't just buy all of your shares in the mining in a mining sector business or a company or in a banking or an airline or technology, you diversify, you buy it in different so that if there's uh, a hiccup in one of those areas, hopefully the others will make up for it. And it's even more important really with property because you're not going to buy as many properties. You'll probably, at best, most people will have two, maybe three if they're buying an investment property. Um, and so the, the diversification is really important in that side of things. One of the next cons to consider is the, um, the and it sort of leads on from the previous, is the availability of the right type of property because not all properties um, work well as an investments. And certain, as I said, certain suburbs and towns are made up of, of very specific property types. So for instance, some of the more modern um, suburbs on the outer, sub, outer areas of capital cities um, are very much focused on residential type estates. And the majority of those are going to be single or double storey houses, detached houses on smaller blocks. And so it's, it's very difficult to diversify within that and, and buy the dif a different type of property. So it's really important when you are focusing on buying an investment property um, be, that you, you get these attributes right because a good quality investment property will have a number of things, but key element is having multifaceted demand. And what we mean by that, which I've mentioned many times in the podcast, is um, different buyer profiles. So the, the different profiles that we talk about are first home buyers, um, there's upsizes, so those perhaps coming from an apartment up to a unit or a unit up to a house or a townhouse up to a house. Um, there's downsizes, um, there's those that might be looking for a town base because perhaps they've moved out of town. Uh, there's obviously investors, but there's also developers. So there's a, a wide variety of, of buyer profiles there, um, but some property types or some suburbs will, will very much limit um, those different buyer profiles and you'll only find that you may only attract uh, an owner-occupier or you may only attract a developer. There's not necessarily that variety of, um, of buyer profile, which is what we need in a good investment so that if one of those disappears, there's others that are, that are taking up the slack so that there's a bit more consistency in performance. Which then leads me to another concern is, is the, the prospects for capital growth. Um, does, the, does that location have those three elements that we talk about um, that drives capital growth? The scarcity that you need in a property a strong underlying land value and that multi multifaceted demand that we've we just mentioned. So, many, particularly some of the middle and outer ring suburbs um, in Melbourne, uh, many of them, the focus there is for home buyers. And for home buyers, 
the idea and the objective is to have as much accommodation at an affordable price as possible. And that doesn't necessarily work from an investment point of view. We want those other avenues to be there to, to really put that pressure on the growth so that we've got good land, component, strong land components, we've got scarcity value that's not being replicated and we've got more than one buyer profile that wants to buy that property so that we've got that constant pressure that pushes demand up and that gives us the growth, which you don't always get in some other areas. So you've got to be mindful of that as well. And then finally, um, the rental side of things and the rental demand. Does the location, the suburb, the town have a strong rental market? Because not all areas do. Um, quite often, you'll find that areas um, might be attractive very much to owner-occupiers, and so the majority of residents in that area are looking to buy because it's relatively affordable, and therefore the investment market in that area, oh, sorry, the rental market in that area is not strong. And so you might find that there's strong, stronger vacancy periods or longer vacancy periods, and therefore it, it doesn't work well as a rental return. Um, and it may not offer the services that a lot of renters want and expect as well. Um, owner-occupiers are, are quite often prepared to forego certain attributes because they have the ability to own a home, whereas renters expect to have those attributes to a property because they aren't, aren't paying off a mortgage, they're paying, a rent, um, paying rent instead. So that comes into play as well. Also, you need to consider what's the likely um, renter profile um, who's likely to be the occupant of the of the property and is it going to be someone that's going to look after your property or could there be ongoing maintenance issues? And so that's something that you really need to, to stack up as well and weigh up. And then finally, as a, as a rental return, is it justified? In some of the really higher land value areas, um, the rental return may be absolutely minimal. Now, capital growth is always the objective, but rental return is still important. Um, and so if, if your rental return's dropping as a, as a yield significantly, well, it, it may mean that there's better options around where you can still get the same level of growth that this suburb offers, but also get a better, um, a better rental yield as well. Okay, so now I'll just go through to our, our case study. And as we've said, knowledge when it comes to selecting a location is really important. And that clear understanding of that um, is important no matter whether it's buying in the area that you currently live or whether it's if you are looking to look wider afield. Um, and so a good example of this um, and an, an intimate knowledge of a, of a location um, comes around Ascot Vale. And um, there's an area south of Francis Street, um, east of Union Road, which is made up of uh, a low-rise government housing estate. Now, for many years um, in and around that area, some of the surrounding streets have been impacted by the estate being there. Um, and locals have always been aware of it. They've also been very well aware of the, the discussion of that area being redeveloped at some point. And the reason being that it's a it's a fairly low density um, development. It's not not a high rise like you do see around some of the inner city suburbs of Melbourne. Um, but the fact that it is so low rise and there's not as many on there means that that site is very undercapitalized or has been undercapitalized, and therefore there's always been talk that at some point it's likely to be um, to be redeveloped. And that's come to fruition in the last five years or so. Um, so originally the plan was to redevelop it or the, the application and the idea was to redevelop it with a four-storey development, but that was there was pushback from locals and from surrounding um, residents. And in the end, it was agreed to put a two- to three-storey development on the site. Still apartments, but um, 
more in keeping with the surrounding area, a bit higher density than what's there at the moment so that it, it's justified, but um, a uh, more attractive style of property. So the fact that that's been done, um, any local resident had a very clear understanding that that was coming about and therefore knew that um, it was going to be a, a more favourable and, and attractive type property and any expert who knew that area quite well was able to take advantage of that and potentially get into that market before perhaps others realised what was going on um, and and pick up properties at, at more valued opportunities. So having that knowledge really gave um people in that area an advantage over uh, over perhaps others who were coming in from the outside. So it, it goes from both sides there in that it, it certainly means that locals and if you were an occupant there and you were buying in your area, you would know that and you could take advantage of that, um, which is which is obviously a good thing. So I think that that's really what we need to understand is that it's not just, it's not a black or white or yes or definitely yes or no answer to buying in the area that you live. There's always um, many things that need to be considered and taken into account. But really that knowledge and expertise to cover a wider variety of areas is ideal because it gives you a lot more choice. It gives you a lot more opportunity. So if you can look at alternatives other than just your area, but have that depth of knowledge, then that would be preferable. However, if you do prefer to do this yourself and you want to take on the challenge, you could do a lot worse, providing the location that you currently live in has the attributes that we've mentioned today and, and has those um, factors to drive growth, to give you a good um, tenant demand, that sort of thing, um, then you could do a lot worse than starting um, at home and understand because you do have that um, intimate knowledge of your local area. But you need to make sure that it does have those attributes, otherwise you could still make a, um, a pretty serious mistake. Okay, so before I get to um, wrapping things up today, I did want to um, just mention that we do get a lot of questions coming back after the podcast and also from webinars and just general discussions around property. So what I've decided that in the coming weeks or month, I'm going to do a podcast on a a question and opinion section. So I'd really value if you do have questions of... um, topics that we've already covered, or perhaps ideas for new podcasts, if you could send us an email with those. Now, please send it to the following email address, which is podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at wakeland.com.au, and we'll collate all those together and then, um, yeah, look forward to putting together a uh, a good podcast in the coming weeks with some of your questions um, that we'll endeavour to answer. So thanks very much for joining me for episode 39 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. As always, please share it far and wide with friends, family and colleagues. And if you do um, want further information, please visit our website, wakeland.com.au. And otherwise, we wish you all the best with your property decisions.